podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Before we get into a conversation I have with Kendall Cott, who covers the Baylor men's basketball program, to let me know everything he knows about our man, Jerome Tang, uh, remember to visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, it's changed my mornings. Instead of taking a couple large multivitamins, I just do a scoop of Athletic Greens. It gives me all the vitamins and minerals I need, plus probiotics and superfoods. And guys, I promise you, it doesn't taste like you're chewing on a piece of kale. It has a little fruity taste to it as well. So go to athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. And with your first order, you'll get a year supply of vitamin D droplets and five free travel packs. Also, Thursday night, 7 p.m., we're going to go live on ColorCast to talk about Jerome Tang. We are going to listen, you know, in the afternoon to his introductory press conference. We're going to give everyone plenty of time to go back and find it if you can't listen live. And then just talk about our new guy on ColorCast. Can't wait. And now here's a show f- featuring Kendall Cott and a, a lot of uh, Chauncey as well. So thanks again to Kendall and uh, enjoy hearing a little bit more about our new head coach, Jerome Tang. The boys are back, and we are continuing our streak of dropping one show a weekday. It started first with the coaching search, and now we have our guy to talk about, Jerome Tang. The official tweet, the official release, and the contract was all made public today. And I thought, you know what? I need to find someone who knows Jerome Tang and knows his history at Baylor way better than anyone in the K-State world. So that's why I sought out for the best and I found the best. And that is Kendall uh, Cott. Sorry, man, my, my dog is going crazy. Uh, uh, Kendall Cott. Uh, so I, I just want to kind of, first, before we talk anything about Jerome Tang, first off, small world, you're a Kansas City guy. And when you talk about the, you know, Baylor National Championship, you quite literally wrote the book on that. So just first tell me, but before you talk about Jerome Tang, talk to me about your journey as a Baylor fan. You're the first Baylor fan we've ever had on our show. And then also kind of talk about your book. Uh, what what prompted you to write it? And what was that process like? Sure. Uh, happy to be on, Scott. I appreciate that. So I went to Baylor from 2009 to 13. Uh, we don't have a ton of fans that aren't kind of Baylor graduates. We're getting a little bit more lately. Uh, and then I covered Baylor basketball. And so I live in Kansas City, and I kind of covered it from afar for a while. Um, got a little bit closer to Jared Butler because I wrote a couple profiles on him where we talk about, hey, you made this pass. How'd you do that? Euro step in here. Where did you develop that move? What's going on there? So I developed a little bit of a relationship there, interviewing him on Zoom or on Skype even back then. And then uh, the COVID season happened, and they did all the press conferences remotely. So a lot easier if it's a press conference, just say, hey, I can sign on from Kansas City as opposed to having to fly down to Waco for every game or go to, you know, Norman, which I would do, make, go to some of those games and fly down sometimes. But that's a little bit difficult. And so I was at every press conference the national championship season and did a profile on Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell, Matt Meyer, Jared Butler, Jonathan Chamo Chachua, 
uh, trying to think if I'm forgetting anybody else. I didn't, I didn't profile flow, but I just about everybody who played for bit or I profiled Adam Flagler this year. Um, and so that season at the end of it, they do this thing through a company called triumph books where they write about any team that wins a championship. They either do an Insta book about. Uh, so for example, when Patrick Mahomes was really good, even before the chiefs won that first super bowl, uh, the guy, I think Matt Derrick is his name. He covers the chiefs for chiefs digest. He did an instant like showtime book about Patrick Mahomes. So if Gonzaga wins the title this year, my guess is they'll have a Gonzaga book come out. If they win the title or if KU can get another national championship, they'll have some Insta book no, that way. No, 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 guess no. Is- don't, don't say KU win. No, we're, you know, they have, they have God's gift to the final four, but let's not will that into place. Please Kendall. Yeah, that's very fair, Scott. So yeah, if K-State wins the national title someday, either you or Kellis Robinette or, uh, you know, one of the guys that covered Tim Fitzgerald, one of the K-State guys will write some kind of Insta book with them. And so that's kind of how it all came to be. Well, that's awesome. Um, so let's talk about the reason for the season. That's Jerome Tang. So uh, from the K-State perspective, uh, again, we I'm in a couple group chats. We were all putting together different hot boards uh, before Bruce Weber officially got fired. And then once uh, it happened, you know, everyone was publishing them. I talked about on the show a handful of times. Everyone had theirs out there. There was not a lot of assistant coaches on there, but something that was very uh, – reoccurring amongst K-Staters and then also I'm a coaching carousel junkie it was very repeating across almost every high major job and that was Jerome Tang Um, he was getting looks last year he was getting mid-major looks the year before what do you think it is about this opportunity this point in time that he decided now is the time for me to become a head coach Sure. I think there are probably two things. One is that his stock is very high given the success of assistants that have gotten jobs lately. Tommy Lloyd has Arizona's number one seed headed to the sweet 16 was the lead assistant at Gonzaga for a number of years. And the second one is Mark Adams and the job he's done at Texas tech, taking over the helm. Uh, Jerome Tang has literally the exact same role at Baylor as Mark Adams has Baylor staff kind of looked at what Texas tech had done to be so successful. I think they did a little internal investigation and felt like, Hey, we have better players than tech. And if tech's had this much success the last two years, what can we emulate from Texas Tech? And so they kind of adopted that model where Jerome Tang, uh, along with Alvin Brooks, who was at K-State formerly as, as an assistant, uh, they're the defensive coordinators on the staff. Well, uh, Scott Drew and John Jacobs are the offensive guys. And so Tang literally coaches about every aspect of defense during the games. Brooks does a little bit of signaling as well. If you're at the games, you can see him doing some hand signals, telling people to X out, uh, that kind of thing. But Tang's the defensive coordinator. And his role is so pronounced in that front that he handles kind of everything they do defensively. And if you see the huddles, I saw a tweet that came out because I was searching Twitter after Baylor lost to kind of look at, okay, what's K-State Twitter saying? And there was a mention about, well, actually, Tang was the one coaching that game, not Drew. I think that's a little I, bit of a misnomer, right? Well, well, so I actually had a tweet, and it was more in jest about how, yeah. oh, he, 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 was, he, he brought the comeback, and then Scott yeah. Drew did overtime. So if you if – you, sorry, there's my dog again. If you came across my tweet, it was mainly in jest. I will, I will – And it was not that, that one, Scott, because okay. I could tell yours was like a funny joke. And I saw Kellis Robinette had the tweet when Baylor came back that was like, some skates Scott Drew did that, but the real ones know it was Jerome Tang. So, no, not that at all. I think it was the um, – if you watch Baylor, Tang will coach the team. Normally, they divide the huddles up at timeouts, and Tang does everything defensively. So he will take the first, say, minute – of the timeout and he'll say, okay, we're going to cover screens this way now, or we're going to have our defense be this way right now, or we're going to press right now. And he'll do all that. And then Scott Drew does the offense. So he does everything Mark Adams does that way. And then he handles substitutions for the most part. Drew can come in since he's the head coach and say, you know, take this guy out, put this guy in, but game to game, 
Jerome Tang is the one who says, if, you know, if it's 1750 and he wants to put Jeremy Sohan in, or if it's, you know, a certain minute and he wants to put LJ Cryer in when he's healthy, Jerome Tang's the one who handles all those responsibilities. So compared to your average assistant who wouldn't have those things on his plate, Jerome Tang's done all those same things. If you look at what Mark Adams did, it really is the same role. Yeah. So what, what was the Baylor internal reaction, the fan reaction? Uh, because I, I saw something from your SID, insanely classy, such high praise for him. Scott Drew had a statement as well. So it seems like it's been well-received amongst uh, the coaching staff internally. Are you guys saying good for him, but we wish he would have gone to Mizzou? We don't want him in the Big 12? Or what was your guys' reaction when the name started picking up steam? I don't think anyone can be upset. I haven't really seen anyone being upset that he took this gig. I mean, he was there for 19 years. He won a national championship with Scott Drew. He didn't leave for UTEP or a job like that just to leave for a job. Uh, obviously, you would prefer not to have to play against him two or three or four times a year if things go well. But you can't be mad. It's a power five job. It's in the Big 12 that he knows well. Uh, if Nigel Pack sticks around, you got a really good roster next season uh, for K-State. So nobody blames him for that. I think you can only look at Mizzou and say, why did you morons not offer him the job before K-State could get to him, whether they were waiting out Brad Underwood or not. But that should have happened so that it wasn't K-State and him. But it sounds like from Gene Taylor today, maybe he's in spin zone. But it seems like that was the fit pretty well along, and they got to it today. Yeah, at least from what I was able to pick up, there were a lot of universities that were interested in him. I think Missouri was the one that piqued his interest a lot. And again, I, I only get reporting from the K-State side of things, but it sounds like almost every SEC job that opened up at least tried to gauge his interest. Um, and uh, Missouri peaked it a little bit, but at least I'm going to tell myself he, he's been waiting, you know, 10 years for the K-State job because he, he loves Manhattan for some reason. <laughs> Uh, so that's the spin zone I'll do there. You talked about his defensive acumen, and I think there may be, if any K-State fan was going to find any sort of anxiety around this hire is, okay, well, we couldn't really score, and here we are bringing in the defensive guy. Was he always a defensive guy for Drew? Does he have uh, his handprints anywhere, anywhere on the offense, or is that going to be something that he's going to have to fill out in his staff to uh, kind of bring whatever offensive identity K-State's going to see in the next, uh, you know, two to three years? It's a fair question. Um, so he's done offensive stuff in the past. Baylor also divides up their player development work. And so he's primarily been the guy who works with big men in the past. And so Baylor's had some really good big men. Jonathan Chamwachachu has developed a ton. Flo Thamba, you can watch him compared to last year's a heck of a lot better big. Epe Udo went from uh, somebody who couldn't really play much at Michigan, played some, but not a huge start at Michigan. The number six pick in the NBA draft at Baylor, Perry Jones, Quincy Miller, first round draft picks, Corey Jefferson was an all big 12 player. So he's really developed big men well offensively in terms of coaching the offense. I think that's a question that would be a good one for the press conference in terms of how does he want to handle staff makeup? I mean, he could be somebody that says, I'm taking all the roles I had before, which is what Mark Adams did at Tech, and then sticking with the offense to decide what he wants to run. Uh, Baylor had a more European style offense recently with the addition of John Jacobs, who had been at Gonzaga and been a GA at Baylor. So it'll be interesting to see how he fills out his staff on that front. My guess is just kind of knowing him a little bit and kind of who he is. I think he'll probably continue to maintain the defense, but he'll have some footprint offensively, but that won't be his main focus. So I think someone on staff will primarily be the offensive guy, but once he gets in that, you know, first chair, he might make a different decision. I have two questions uh, in on the surface, they may seem very similar, but in the landscape of college basketball, they couldn't be any more different. That comes to him when it comes to recruiting. The first one is going to be, and it's going to also be a little bit of a love letter to how Baylor has uh, built their roster. And 
they were early adapters when it comes to transfers before it became the cool thing to do. Even back when, you know, players are having to sit out a year, Baylor picked up a lot of quality players uh, via the transfer. How, how did Baylor kind of course out scouting the transfer? Well, I'll say the transfer portal, even though it hasn't always been the transfer portal, but how they kind of pieced out who, how they, uh, you know, scout transfer players, how they recruit transfer players. Did Tang have much of a uh, role in that, or was that someone was that someone else's specialty uh, as Baylor kind of built these rosters over the last five, 10 years? Yep. So kind of the strength of Baylor, Scott, has been they've been adaptable to different styles. So when Scott Drew was at Valparaiso, when he first got to Baylor, he was really good at kind of combing the international scene. Uh, when he got to Baylor, didn't seem like there was much of an avenue to that for him at first. And he didn't quite have those connections at the elite level because other schools did that. So then he starts landing some of those five-star guys, Tweety Carter's McDonald's All-American, Lace Darius Dunn was nearly one, Perry Jones, Quincy Miller, all McDonald's All-Americans, Isaiah Austin, did well with those guys. But then that pipeline for a while, if you want to say whatever happened, I'm not accusing anyone or I'm not in the FBI. I can't say what happened, but suddenly KU, Kentucky, and Duke out of nowhere landed everyone just all of a sudden. I don't know how that happened. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how everyone and done for a few years decided Duke was the place to be for them when they weren't even on those recruiting lists. I don't know. How did it happen? I don't know. But when that happened, right, Baylor's not landing those guys anymore. They were still out for him. They were in the final three um, for Julio Loco for um, and Tyus Jones. But they didn't land those guys. So they had to find kind of a new way to compete. And so one of that was looking at who could they get to transfer in. And so some of it was getting a little lucky. And part of getting lucky, though, is sort of like Bill Snyder, when we talked about a little bit uh, before we got on, which is that, you know, Bill Snyder wasn't always 11-1 and one every season, like he was with L. Rover Center. He didn't always win the Big 12 like he did with Darren Sproles. Didn't always have a 2012 season. But the deal was be consistently good so you can get a little bit lucky like K-State did that final year where Colin Klein's just really good. Or when Darren Sproles is in Kansas and KU doesn't recruit him well enough, well, you got a good program not too far down the road and you've got other great players around Darren Sproles or, you know, you've got great guys around them. That's kind of what I think Baylor did at that time. They got Davion Mitchell, but at the time they didn't want Davion Mitchell. They wanted Tyler Harris, who's now the backup point guard at Memphis. So it's one of those things work out better sometimes when you don't get your first choice because Davion Mitchell, obviously 50 times better than Tyler Harris. Um, so they looked, then looked at the transfer portal when that dried up, saw who they could get from that. And then they kind of had a roll of, okay, look for guys that you think are good scout them out and see what you can do. Tang was involved in that process. He's involved in kind of everything at Baylor. Um, but he's also just a really good high school recruiter. He was very involved in getting Keontae George, who's coming to Baylor next year, number three player in the class, uh, really involved in Trevon Duvall, who was the runner-up for Baylor in the past. So he's a prolific recruiter, very, very involved in LJ Cryer's recruitment, who was a leading scorer for Baylor before injury. So he has connections all throughout the state of Texas, has connections now all throughout the country. Um, so he's going to be a prolific recruiter. And I don't think there's anybody K-State could have gotten better to recruit. I think even if Brad Underwood had come to Manhattan, I don't think Brad Underwood's recruiting as well as Jerome Tangle recruit at K-State. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. That's his bona fides when it comes to high school recruiting. And, you know, I'm, I'm a member, uh, I, I subscribe over on Rivals. All sorts of national folks have kind of pumped up his recruiting acumen. And then he also, uh, I, I found, I stumbled across a mock interview that he took part in. Uh, sorry. Man, Chauncey has never acted quite this needy during a, a podcast episode. But I came across a uh, pod or a mock interview he was part of, and he talked about, you know, no one's going to out recruit me. He said, hey, even if I have to get in my car and, uh, you know, dri drive, you know, all across, you know, a thousand mile distance, he's willing to do that. And he referenced some stories right when he started 
at Baylor when he took over at the same time as Scott Drew and how that's what he used to do. Um, when it comes to the high school recruiting, um, what what should K-State fans expect? I don't think we can wave a magic wand overnight and say he's going to have a top 25 class, but do you think eventually, if given enough time, he can get the occasional top 25 class? Or do you think it's also going to be a little bit dependent on who else he can bring along in the staff with him uh, across his ties in Texas and throughout the country? There is some dependency on that, but I do think he gets assigned to top 25 classes at K-State. Uh, I mean, they're signing with Baylor. Baylor was in a lot worse spot than K-State is now when they took over there. I mean, I think kind of to me, whenever you get in these like ranking jobs things, it's like, yeah, obviously Kentucky is a better job than K-State. We're being honest here. Uh, but it's not that much better that it really matters, right? Like Billy Gillespie lost a heck of a lot more than Frank Martin was losing in Manhattan at the same time. Uh, you look at South Carolina, or not, I don't think South Carolina is the best example, but you look at kind of UCLA before Mick Cronin has kind of gotten going the last two years. Steve Alford wasn't winning at high levels despite what he was doing at UCLA, wasn't making final fours there. KU does very well under Bill Self. It's kind of been the recession-proof program, but all these other blue blood programs, UNC uh, under Matt Doherty, have all had these droughts right now where it really is a sport that is coach-dependent, right? There's nothing that says Clemson, South Carolina is where you have to build a powerhouse five-star program, but Dabo built up a big program. There's nothing that said Baylor had to be a national championship program, but it became that program. So it might take a second from the land some high school recruits that are powerful, impact day one guys. But I think compared to Bruce Weber, it's going to be a heck of a lot better in terms of just natural talent signed by Jerome Tang. And I think eventually he will get those really high liberated recruits. I don't know that he's ever going to have a top five class at K-State, but I think he can certainly have top 25 classes before too long. Probably not class one, but I would think before too long, he will sign top 25 classes at K-State. If you were going to do kind of the old school, like, you know, NCAA 14, and you were ranking his attributes, if you're saying, you know, uh, CEO type of a program, uh, in-game X's and O's in recruiting uh, between those three. And there's, I probably should be going a lot more detail than just those three pillars. But if you were going to kind of power rank those three recruiting, being able to manage an entire college basketball program, and then the X's and O's acumen, what do you say would be one, two, three amongst those, uh, you know, kind of pillars of being the modern head coach? It's a good question. Um, I think the CEO management is probably one, given how many hats he wore at Baylor and he was so involved in that and had been there the whole 19 years. Also, before that, he was an AD and head coach at a really small Houston uh, Baptist school. And to do that at a school that was K through 12, I think it had fewer than 200 kids and still land. NBA prospects like he landed at that school, major college prospects that he had there, handle all that on such a shoestring budget. I don't think he's going to have much of a challenge managing the budget, setting up a staff, doing all those things. So I think he's one of those day one, ready to do it kind of guys. And he's been thinking about this move for years. So he's going to be ready day one. I think X's and O's are probably number two. And I say that might disappoint some people, but I'll explain number three in a second. I think X's and O's are number two because Baylor basically in one offseason said, we're going to steal the no middle defense tech runs. And they ran it to be the number one defense in the country before COVID with Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and company. So I think that's a really positive sign for them. Um, I think beyond that, when you rank recruiting three, the reason I rank recruiting three is because that's a full staff effort. And I think it's, we're again, disassociating him from it. We're getting to K-State's unique job for those challenges. I'm still very, very bullish on those things. Ranking him three is not like you're asking me to rank who are the three strongest, you know, armies in Central Asia. And it's like, yeah, well, after Russia and China, there really aren't, Mongolia is not really scaring you. Azerbaijan doesn't keep you up at night. 
So I don't really think it's kind of that situation. I just think it's the other two are so strong. There is a fair question mark about how does anybody recruit at K-State, but there's one guy you'd feel pretty confident about on the market. I'm feeling a heck of a lot better about Jerome Tang at K-State than I am feeling about, you know, the Gates hire at Mizzou or that I'm feeling about Georgia deciding to take Florida's coach who wanted a parachute out. So I think that that was just an absolutely slam dunk hire for K-State. You know, you're not hiring Bruce Weber, obviously did some great things at K-State, but I think this is a much more exciting hire than Bruce Weber was back in the day. Yeah, you, you see the K-State fan base really rallying around it. And uh, I, I had a little bit of a worry about it because it did, at least we convinced ourselves, and I think it was closer than some people may give credit to uh, of making Brad Underwood work. There was part of me that got a little worried that the fan base would go, well, if it's not Underwood, then F whoever it is. But it's not. I, I think we see an energy that we haven't seen at K-State basketball since they cut down the Big 12 nets, um, you know, three seasons ago at this point. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be an insane amount of pressure early on on uh, Jerome Tang. But if you look at the last three basketball hires, you had Bob Huggins, who resurrected the basketball program. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. You had probably the fan favorite for an entire two generations in Frank Martin, five back to back to back to back to back, five win or 21 seasons with an Elite Eight. Bruce Weber set so many school records, an Elite Eight, two conference championships. So again, he's coming in to a high uh, approval rating, a higher approval rating than uh, Bruce Weber did. But you stare down that and then you stare down the history of K State's hires outside of you know, two guys that I don't, I'm not even allowed to say their name in, in my parents' house. That's how bad those two hires were. Um, but it, it is a historic program. Do you think he's a guy who will be able to stand up to that pressure if, you know, you have a three-game losing streak early in Big 12 play and fans might start to grumble because fans get impatient? Or is he going to be someone who, hey, you know, he, he needs to keep the momentum rolling from day one so things don't kind of get away from him? No, so Baylor's had a few seasons that kind of fit that bill. Uh, 2014, Baylor gets up to top 10 in the country and the non-conference. Then they start 2-8 and eight in Big 12 play. Looks like they're not even going to make the tournament. Disastrous season. They roll off 7 out of 8, make the finals of the Big 12 tournament. Then they pound Creighton by like 30 points in the round of 32, make the Sweet 16. So that's, I think, good evidence, handle the pressure there. Then in 2019, they lose to Texas Southern to open the season. They just missed the NCAA tournament the year before. There were some people a little worried about his job status. There was a site I used to uh, run uh, where we had a guy who kind of wrote, get rid of Scott Drew, and I wrote a rebuttal to that. Um, I've been wrong about a lot of things. I often make the joke. I thought Iraq had WMDs, so I'm not batting a 1,000, but I was right on this one uh, when I said, hey, keep Scott Drew. And they did well that season. They ended up making the round of 32. Then the next year, you know, they win 23 straight games, the longest streak ever in the Big 12. So he's handled pressure well that way. He's been a guy who's kind of – it's sometimes been viewed as sort of the bad cop for Baylor. And I had someone tell me, you know, our bad cop is probably the nice cop at other places. Like Baylor just does not cuss. Um, like I talked to somebody one time and they're like, Hey, when you talk to our guys, just make sure you don't, you know, use profanity. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not really trying to do that anyway, but I appreciate the heads up. Like it's a different sort of world for who he is. So you contrast him with Frank Martin. I do not expect to see Jerome Tang, you know, shouting in anybody's face uh, that worked for Frank and Frank seems to really care about the guys, but he is just kind of a different style and demeanor in terms of what he does. He'll get worked up sometimes. He'll say, what's that call? What's going on? But I would be pretty shocked if Jerome Tang's ever leading the Big 12 in technicals. Yeah, I, I like to hear that. I'm going to close, maybe not close it up, but the, the last major thing that I want to talk about is Jerome Tang as a person. Again, I referenced it a little bit. The uh, Baylor SID uh, had, you know, a great, you know, 
three picture, you know, iPhone notes app story about uh, Jerome Tang as a person. Again, I've ever since he really started coming on my radar, I've tried to watch and listen almost anything that involves Jerome Tang. And I come around uh, just wanting to be around the man. He seems like he has such an infectious personality. He cares about his players, his family, and all that type of stuff. You've obviously followed him and Baylor and, you know, way closer than I ever could. So what has just been your impression of Jerome Tang as a human, even away from the game of basketball, for as long as you've been uh, following Baylor basketball? Yep, the first thing that stands out, and he's a really, really deeply religious man. And kind of what I've been led to believe is that he's going to take some of those themes and just not, you know, mention religion. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to literally tell word for word the story of the book of Ezekiel, and it's going to be like the names are slightly changed, and it'll be like, Jerome, this story sounds familiar to all of us, what's going on here, but he is a very deeply religious person, um, so that kind of guides sort of how he views the world. The second is, I think he's a very ethical guy. Um, I was told one time by somebody in the program, and I don't think they'd mind me sharing this story, that they were talking to a recruit one time, and the recruit kind of sort of was wink-wink asking them to do something to promote his own brand, and rather than, you know, it's not like they were asking for money, but they were like, well, how are you going to promote my brand in these channels, and he just stopped him and said, we can't do that in recruiting. That would be a violation. So we can't tell you what's going on. And Baylor didn't get that recruit. And they weren't accusing anybody else of paying, but they were just like, we're not going to cross these sorts of lines. So I think he gets it. He knows that, you know, he's been an assistant for a long time. He's wanted to be a head coach for a while in the right fit. But I don't think he's someone who's going to take shortcuts. I don't think you're going to find out that, you know, K-State was funneling $10 million via a wire fraud or anything like that. So I think he's a very ethical guy. I think he's a deeply religious guy. And I think everybody who talks about him speaks very highly of him. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people in the program in moments where they're, you know, frustrated about something, this or that, or, Hey, what's going on here? What's going on there. I've never heard anybody say, you know, I just didn't want to deal with Jerome today, or I was tired of seeing coach Tang or anything like that. They all mentioned he deeply, deeply cares about people. He is, you know, fiercely religious guy. And that's just kind of who he is. And, you know, you can be an atheist and that's okay too. I don't think Jerome Tang's going to refuse to recruit atheists or any other religion, but that kind of, I think situates him. And I think that'll be kind of a big deal if you read stories about him that he's a pretty religious guy. Yeah, I, I uh, again, I go back to that that mock interview, and, and that is something that was very forward with him. And uh, as someone who who is someone not far from it, far from being perfect, no, no Christian's perfect, but someone who does have a relationship with Jesus, I am happy to see that. And, and you know, Bruce was as well, and Frank was as well. I'm, I'm not saying that none of those guys were, but he is he wears it on his sleeve and I'm very attracted and I'm drawn to people like that. So I'm excited to see what he can do when he's wearing, you know, the lavender uh, quarter zip on our sideline. Uh, the, the final thing, and then I'll, I'll let you kind of either get a final word out about Jerome Tang or plug your book or anything that you're working on. Um, if, if you were going to make a hypothetical bet five years from now, uh, you know, because this is the game we've I've played. I'd love to play this game three years into the coach climbing era and comparing it to all the other hires, not just in the big 12, but nationwide that year, you know, he's the only one of three coaches uh, of the three other coaches hired Chris Kleiman. He's the only one left in the big 12 and there aren't any other big 12 jobs. So I'll be really looking at some of these guys who get the sec job. Would you, if you were placing a bet, would you say that he is going to be seen as the best hire uh, amongst the, this uh, round of folks uh, you know, near the top, middle of the pack, just kind of grade him against some of uh, these other hires that we've predominantly seen in the Big East and SEC uh, and 
Is he going to – basically, I'm just trying to get you to say, hey, hey he's going to be way more successful at K-State than, any, than anyone else is going to be. And I'm talking in circles now. But just where do you think this hire will be looked upon five years from now? Yeah, I think it'll be either at the top or next to the top. I, I'm trying to remember since I haven't followed every instance of the rest of the coaching carousel. Did Maryland make a hire yet, or did they hire the Seton Hall head coach? I think Maryland might have hired the Seton Hall yes, head coach, I, if I'm I, correct. I don't, Kevin Willard. Yeah, I don't – if it's not official, it's like everyone and their mom knows okay. it's going to happen. But yeah. The only thing I think could have maybe been as successful is I thought if Maryland had just held out and hired Ed Cooley from Providence with how good he is at Providence and how great the Maryland program can be. I thought that was kind of, and how I've been on the big 10 is overrated garbage for the last three years. Um, I thought that was kind of a day one ready to roll kind of thing with him. But since he didn't get that, I would say number one for tank, I'd say, Cool it at Maryland. Nobody's beaten that, that it happened, but Maryland impatient. Mark Turgeon 2.0. They're probably going to make a couple of sweet 16s and be like, oh, wow, we're as good as we were that one time we ran off Gary Williams. So I think Jerome Tang, 100% better than what Missouri did. Scrub City, I say, Missouri, uh, not get Tang. Um, that's not me talking from Tang's camp or anything. That's just me saying that Mizzou should have been tons of art inspired. Jerome Tang's offered the job that next day. We got SEC money. Let's go. Not impressed at all. Well, Kendall, I so I do I, think he'll be the most successful one. I also think it is very likely that he is in it for the long haul at K State. Perfect. Still yeah, I I lost you there for a second. I don't know if it was internet on my side or your side, but I I am I am uh, I, I I agree with you, and I, I think some some folks don't do enough homework when they start tweeting out, oh, he's going to just use K State as a stepping stone job. Again, he's he's at a point in his life age wise, and he waited long enough for this head coaching, you know position you know outside of a shocking scott drew retirement in the next you know two three years i i think he's going to retire a wildcat and again you know the, the old adage is as a coach you either you know retire with a statue or you get fired and you know i think there is a little bit of room for wiggle room uh there but i i i think he is going to be a 10-year guy and i, I think we're going to see some really high highs i do too my guess is that uh, Tang would only leave for the NBA or he would leave if Baylor opened up, like you mentioned. Now, if Kentucky opens up and calls him a different ball game, but I think it would take literally a blue blood job like that. And I don't think he's coming to KU after coming to K-State. So it would take a blue blood job or the Baylor gig opening up. And I don't see Scott Drew leaving unless it's possibly Kentucky or the NBA someday. So I think he's at K-State for the long haul because the only other guy is kind of blocking him in sort of the way that if KU had produced any coaches that were any good in the program, uh, they could have taken Bill Self's job. They would have been blocked by Bill Self for years. I think it's that same deal where the job Tang would leave for, I think, would be Baylor. But I don't think Baylor's going to open up at all. So I think he is in it for the long haul. I don't think you've hired some guy who's going to win for three years. Then, uh, you know, Illinois comes open. If Brad Underwood doesn't get it done, he takes that job. Or Ohio State gets open because they get worried about Chris Holtman. Or USC gets open and he's going to take that job. I just don't see that for him. He's not somebody like that. He lived in Waco for 20 years. So I don't think he's going to get to Manhattan and be like, what do I do with $2 million a year in Manhattan, Kansas? He'll be plenty fine. For sure. I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening. Again, uh, plug your Twitter account, plug your book, anything that you're working on uh, and just let, let K-State fans know where they can find you. If they have any Jerome Tang questions between now and his press conference on Thursday. Yeah, probably just my Twitter. I write for a Baylor site. That's like a subscription only. So I'm not going to tell K-State fans subscribe to a Baylor subscription site. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's at, my name, which is Kendall Kaut, at K-E-N-D-A-L-L-K-A-U-T. I have some hot takes sometimes in the Big 12, football, basketball, life, all that stuff, but that's pretty much me. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much uh, to everyone listening. Again, we're going to go live on ColorCast Thursday evening so all the fans can react to the press conference that will be happening Thursday afternoon. And again, as always, visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink for five free travel packets and a year supply of vitamin D supplement to go along with any purchase. We love you guys. And again, we're, we're going, we're going show a day. We're going to try to get Jimmy going back on the show tomorrow to talk about his re- initial reaction to Tang. And then also what, what does he want to hear? What do we, what do we expect? What are we hoping to hear in his introductory press conference on Thursday? Kendall, thank you again. And again, folks, Got another show tomorrow. Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit, wildcat in fight. Hail alma mater from sea to sea. Fight UK State Wildcats for alma mater fight. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. UK State Wildcats for alma mater. Podcast Network.